Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hi everyone, it's Michael McNutt with Weedy, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. This week, from our summer forum that just took place at the end of July, a very special presentation, Pair-to-Pair Data Exchange featuring Michael Gould, Business Lead of Interoperability at Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, and Jocelyn Keegan, Program Manager with the HL7 DaVinci Project and Payer Practice Lead at Point of Care Partners. Okay, and I think our goal for today is we're not going to be able to unpack everything that's in pair payer data exchange, but to really talk a little bit about what DaVinci's doing in this space and to ground you guys in resources, some some of the conversation that's happening, um, some considerations that we really want to challenge, I think, you as industry members about. Um, and hopefully, if we're good, preserve some time to be able to field a couple questions. Um, I am going to make some references, and uh, Mike, Michael McNutt has graciously agreed to help me post some um, links. Uh, I think that'll be relevant for this audience. Uh, we try and make sure, just before I get started, from a DaVinci perspective overall, to make sure that everything that we're doing is as transparent as possible, and all of the resources that we're building and the artifacts that we're creating are available for anyone to use. So I'll reference HL7's Confluence page multiple times during our conversation today. I recommend if you're not already following it to make sure that you and your team have access to it because payer to payer is just one slice of the work that we're doing at DaVinci to really start to unpack all of the workflows that need to happen in order to make interoperability a reality and for us to support value-based care in all of your move as organizations, whether you're a payer, a vendor, or a provider organization to get across that transom, right? To really make clinical data liquid and to remove or reduce um, as much manual work and focus on automation. Been really excited about the agenda this week and uh, and applaud Weedy's effort to really sort of change the lens and how we look at this content. Um, and would like to say thank you for Michael Gould for joining me today for the discussion because um, he has been in the middle of this. Uh, DaVinci is a human-powered effort. Um, we rely heavily on in-kind resources from folks like the association. Mike is, I believe, my original voluntold resource on the project, uh, starting from when he was a DaVinci member at uh, Independence Blue Cross. And we, between the two of us, have been talking about how to use FIRE to solve some of these problems uh, for well before when DaVinci was created. So, so just to ground us in today's conversation, we're looking at payer-to-payer data exchange um, under the requirement from CMAS's final rule 9115. Um, and we've been having an active discussion and a lot of questions going from the DaVinci Project and our members and the community um, to CMS uh, over the last year or two that we've really been investing in. What does it really mean to use the guides that we're building to help people meet compliance? Um, I, I'll do one disclaimer before we start and say, when we started building payer, payer data exchange as an implementation guide, the initial goal for that was really to get providers access to payer information. And Mike will go through the journey a little bit about how this utility that we built for providers to payers, you know, pay, getting payers data into a provider's hand really has blossomed into something that shows, I think, the power and the utility of fire and our move as an industry to APIs. So at its very basic, what we're looking at is the ability for a patient to be able to request that their information is shared between their existing payer and their new payer. So it's gotta be patient directed and that the limit or the scope of that data is to what's in current, the current version of USCDI. 
um, version one. And I would say that's the floor, right? When we talk about all of this stuff, this is about what is what is what is it that is ne- that a payer needs to be doing as they're looking at their plans on what they're going to surface and how they're going to make that available. Um, and that the beginning term of that, and I have another slide that talks a little bit about the timeline because we had many circular discussions and debates early on about <laughs> how to interpret that role. Mike can attest to that. Um, so we actually created some visuals to help support that so people understand very clearly what the scope is. So we'll talk about that in a second. And and then really the idea is how does that patient have the ability to create that longitudinal record with often the payer being the person that knows the most about all of the activity or the vast majority of the patient's activity because they're paying for that service. So if we can sew together this information, this really is about creating data liquidity about a patient and a patient's history being able to follow them to augment what other information that a provider team might have about that patient. So when we think about this as a payer-specific workflow, we're really talking about, and some of our provider members do a great job of sort of invoking this. If we can figure out how to do this, we remove huge burden off of patients and remove huge burdens off of providers that are often asked to repeat sharing this information as a patient changes payers. So with that said, if we look at the window, we're really looking at everything. Mike's laughing because I'm telling you there were conversations and debates. Uh, We have a lot of uh, strong um, discourse (laughs) in many of our different it's also uh, and it's it, an ironic coincidence that both periods are five year periods. But go yeah, ahead, Justin. Totally agree. Because uh, why? That'll change after this year. Exactly. So basically, everything starts is the the clock starts. The data that you need to share starts on January first, two thousand sixteen, and your patient has up to five years or your member after they leave your plan to request pulling their data forward. So you need to maintain that information and that history about that patient for up to five years. They have the ability to come back and get it. You can choose to do more and I'll get at that in a second and the nuance around that. So we just have an example in here. So imagine in 2027, you have a member that leaves the plan. They have up until February 1st of 2032 to come back and ask for that information. And the other nuance that I think doesn't necessarily get called out as well in the visual as it could is that really 2016 is the start date. It's not that you only need to get five years of data. 2016 is the date at which you need to go back to date for data. So if you were at that 2027 deadline, you'd be sharing up to 11 years of data, depending on how long that member had been a member of your plan. Um, there's been some debate and discussion, and I think there's even some stuff in the FAQs about it, uh, about whether or not there's a responsibility to chain information together. If a member leaves you, goes to another plan, and then comes back to you, and I would say that there, and I'm, I'll ask Mike to intone sort of the conversation aspect of it. Um, we are seeing, I think, intent from some of the payers that are in the market to actually make sure that they can create those connections just to improve the quality of data that's being shared about a patient, but that's really being decided on mm-hmm. a case-by-case basis. Mike, do you think that that's a fair statement to make? Yeah, and you know, I think another a good example to illustrate this difference between you know the the look back and 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 the eligibility to get the data is today we're very concerned about COVID vaccinations, right? But there's another aspect of life for many of us about meningitis B vaccination, and you may not remember that you got the meningitis B vaccination some time ago. So if you're if you fast forward to that 2027 to 2020 uh, 28 2032 time frame, you may not remember. Did I get it in 2021? Did I get it in 2020? Did I get it in 2019? So that look back period of 2016 is really intended to help with 
some of the health concerns that patients will have that may be further back in the past. I think that's a great, great illustration. And with that, I'm going to flip over and Mike's going to share a little bit of um, <laughs> some of the additional discussion we've been having about really sort of what are some of the risks around people using non-API um, mm -hmm. or non um, uh, standardized data to be able to share this information and what, what that impact right. could be for us as an industry. Yeah, so this kind of gets away from the patient example that I just gave and gets to the, the back end that payers have to, to consider when they provide the data to the member, right? So for the 9115 final rule in regard to payer to payer, payers are to make available data according to the USCDI spec. So the content is pretty well defined, all right? The mechanism for sharing that data was really left to be just electronic without further specification. Now, we did see in some other proposed rules how fire APIs were promoted or required, but that never made it into a final rule. So the industry was kind of left with, okay, I could be sending this or receiving it in these pair-to-pair -pair exchanges in a myriad of ways. So how am I going to implement, how am I going to manage that if I start getting a lot of requests for pair-to-pair -pair exchange? And many of us quickly saw that, you know, there was a real case for standardizing, narrowing the scope of the possible mechanisms. But also when we talk about USCDI, it just specifies the, the what of the data, you know, encounters, diagnoses, conditions, medications, but those can be expressed in several different kinds of models so that you could get the same extract of data from one payer and then next week get it an entirely different arrangement of that data. And that can become also confusing when we have to map the data into our systems. So many of us saw the value from working through the patient access API in particular we saw the value of using FHIR and using APIs for payer-to-payer -payer exchange. That way we can structure the data in a way that's consistent and reliable. We can, the mechanism for the exchange, the transmission of the data narrows the field of the potential ways that we could be sending and receiving data. So the long-term consequence here is that as this dearth of data grows into the future, and we're maintaining this data into the future, that it's manageable. So we also hold out the hope that future federal rulemaking can impact pair-to-pair -pair exchange, but that's you know, something that's still cloudy in, our, in, in all of our crystal balls, regulators as well as our own. So let's go to the next slide. And Mike, just before we move on to the next slide, I think oh, this, sure. is, mm -hmm. this is an important point I just wanna make sure that we don't put too fine a point on is which, which is, it's not just about the data being manageable. I think it's also about the usability of the data to be computable and to be actioned yeah. upon mm -hmm. by the by the, the the payer that receives it, and when it gets mm -hmm. shared to a provider or to other care teams around mm -hmm. that patient. And so, the more that we can, I would say, raise the bar on ourselves to be able to make that yeah. data usable. I think that 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 gets at the the spirit and the intent. And the only other comment I would add is I think it's very clear to me the the direction that regulation is headed. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll let I'll let Mike talk about that in a little bit more detail. Sure. 
And the other, the other thing is that if we standardize now, we don't diminish the value of this data going into the future, right? And one thing that I did miss in that discussion is also being able to find each other. So the idea of having a directory, that's not really worked out yet either. And that's something else uh, that there are preliminary solutions available today, but we're still in the process of getting there. So these things all combined, uh, you know, when we think about the exchange of data via Fire API, the, the use of directories for Fire endpoints, uh, the variable, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the myriad patient access API um, solutions that are becoming available. So patients are, are having greater ability to access their data. So if we look into the future and we consider how people will uh, become eligible for the government programs that cover, that this rule covers. So your Medicare Advantage, your Medicaid managed care organizations, CHIP, and the uh, qualified health plans on the federally facilitated exchanges. As people, due to age or other circumstances, move through these, as well as people that, are, uh, that get their health care through commercial plans and become eligible for some of these government programs, we're going to see that people move through these and the ability for not only access to the data, but that this data is portable and follows them through their journey in life, that's really what payers have the opportunity to support at this point. So this vision of, of patient access and portability and interoperability is really the vision that the regulation sets out with. And it, it sets that bar as, 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 as Jocelyn said, but it's also enabled through standards that are designed and, and built by implementers, tested and refined further. So it's not just like, you know, we kind of get together in the DaVinci project and we say, hey, here's a great implementation guide. Yeah, but we're done. No, it's, it's going to take some refining also now that we're, now that we've not only designed the implementation guide, but we've implemented with it and we were, we're continuing to learn things about that. And this combination of technology, policy, and and not you know forgetting the, the the important pieces of scalability and security that come with it, uh, that that makes for the the personalized experience of a patient, uh, their relationship with their caregivers and providers, their relationship with their payers, all kind of coming together in a in a in an innovative community that standards can support the value of these kinds of exchanges into the future. Next slide. So from a resource perspective, and just to give you an idea of, you know, sort of how do you get involved if you're not actively picking up and using the implementation guides, if you didn't use the um, PDEX guide as part of your compliance for the 1-1, uh, I'm sorry, the 7-1-21, uh, uh, deadlines. And for those of you who got across the line on 7-1 and 1-piece, congratulations. Uh, you've made it. This is step one. We're now moving on to the next step in the journey. Uh, I think that the point that Mike makes here is really important, right? That we're seeing investment in these um, foundational fire APIs leading to reusability, not just across um, specific stakeholders, but reusable across multiple settings and types of um, uh, 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 data sharing, right? So we're now seeing mm -hmm. the same API for patient, 
that we can now use for payer to payer. And that, you know, with the pending 9123 rule, whatever may happen with that, yeah. we expect that the rule that, that shall not, not be named, I think right. is what we're affectionately referring to it as, <laughs> um, that that we're seeing in that a requirement and a named um, use of some of these implementation guides as the way to do it. So, you know, yeah. I, I applaud. And, and Jocelyn, if, if I can jump in for a second here, it's, it's important to distinguish that the Fire API for patient access is that relationship between the payer and the, the member, right? It's a very different uh, okay. usage, even though it seems the same on the surface, uh, it's a business-to-business -business transaction when one payer does exchange with another payer, even on behalf of that member, right? So as much as we can reuse what we've built, we have to reuse it in a different way. And payers are experiencing that difference now and figuring out how to go forward with it. So uh, I just want to touch on a question that we received in the chat sure. um, that has to do with... Um, the reuse of the data from payer to payer exchange. And yes, the data does have to be made available. Once it gets to the current payer, it does have to be made available to the member in the patient access API. Um, and there's another question in there about uh, plans beyond the covered entities in the rule. And we're seeing that some are interested in extending this from those four covered entities, those four covered plans to other lines of business. Um, there's not really a pattern out there yet, but, you know, some are considering the strategic value of pair-to-pair -pair exchange in this regard. So back to you, yeah, Heather. Mike, uh, Mike, I think that's Jocelyn. a great point. And I think that that we, the discussion that we get to see because we're involved in it on a day-to-day -day basis is that in some places it's easier for me to store all of the data for all of my members and not try and do it by lines of business. And also, as folks are looking at being the beneficiary of that information starting to flow, making sure that they're also contributing to that data flowing in mm -hmm. the industry. And I think there's a sea change about how we think about this, right, with really the member directing access and control of their own information that started with Basin Access API will continue to payer to payer, and I'm sure continue in other ways in the industry from our friends at ONC and CMS as they crank mm -hmm. the regulatory wheel on us. So, um, so just... Just stopping here quickly, um, there's a number of references here. So this is to get to the actual implementation guide. PDEX is actually a sub-guide under uh, health uh, our health data exchange um, um, IG called HREX. And so HREX basically does sort of all of the profiling around how to share data. And underneath that is the PDEX guides and also a, a CDEX, a, cl a clinical data exchange, which is for payers to share data out mm -hmm. of their EHRs or their own repositories. So just a little bit of context about why you care about ATREX. And Michael, we may field some questions about that. And then um, there's recordings available from the CMS Connectathon in July if you weren't able to attend. And in addition, there'll be another September Connectathon that's HL7 sponsored. We encourage folks, that's a great place to come meet mm -hmm. your peers, test your code, even if you're not ready to test your code, you know, come and talk to people, meet, see what's happening for real. Um, and then um, I mentioned a few times that we have FAQs. So this is the official link to the CMS, um, Office of Burden Reduction posting, where they've cleared everything and normalized all the FAQs they're getting, or all the questions they're getting from everyone out into a place publicly. Uh, and then, um, as I mentioned a few times when we've been talking, there are specific answers um, from the CMS team for questions that we've gotten together as a community and asked in a consistent way. And so we do, as soon as we get those answers from CMS, we post them publicly so that everyone has access to them, just in our goal to be transparent. Um, and I wanted to share today, because I know 
uh, again, on the topic of things we get to talk about a lot <laughs> in the community, there were three mm -hmm. questions that we actually submitted specifically to CMS um, at the beginning of June because they kept coming up on our calls. And so we actually have draft or we have we have answers back from CMS on these questions that I think provide a lot of clarity about how CMS and the team at OCR is really interpreting their their regulation against existing um, consent and use of data. So I would encourage people to use this log as a resource as you're having your own internal conversations. None of us are policy people. We're literally trying to field technical questions coming out of the project. But I think that these resources are important as you're having those your own internal dialogues. Um, and with that, um, I think that we want to just talk a little bit about sort of what that opportunity is and why somebody mm -hmm. would be using PDEX as opposed to um, a less um, API-driven methodology. Right. So the ability to use PDEX allows you to uh, exchange consent information. So uh, if you if you recall, you know, the nature of fire, the, the resources in fire, there is a resource for consent. So you can bundle that with the other parts of uh, the HREX and PDEX implementation guides so that when you're sending a resource about the patient, you're sending resource about the coverage that has information about the current um, health plan and the, the previous health plan, you know, as depicted here uh, at, at right and left. And there's also the operation that comes from the HREX implementation guide for matching. And we did receive a question uh, in the chat about, you know, how do you make sure that you don't misidentify the member? So the, the HREX member match operation is intended to get plans started on that. Uh, when you take a look at it, you may feel that it's not exhaustive, but, you know, that's also a matter of, you know, hitting the right sweet spot with standardization and not overstandardizing. So it's that difference between using the implementation guide and how you implement to have a really sound solution. There's other options stay, staying within the PDEX and HREX realm, if you will, of building a fire API for pair-to-pair -pair data exchange that related closer to the patient access API to cover your compliance needs around consent. You might also use the, the OAuth token piece of the, the patient access API exchange in the pair-to-pair -pair exchange where when the request comes into the payer to do payer-to-payer -payer exchange and the payer that is supplying the information needs the consent to release the information, that the OAuth token in some cases may serve as sufficient evidence of that consent. You have to remember that in this case, you have two payers that are doing different things and their consent needs may be different. So they may have two, need, two dis discrete needs for consent that need to be met. And you know, again, in this case, the matching and the exchange of the data also has to, to align. So one of the things that you know we've come upon in, in discussions is that there are certain real-world implementation considerations you have to think about as you're doing this. And they're they're different than um, what you might have experienced in the patient access API. Not going to run through all of them here. But, you know, certainly come to participate in the PDEX calls, participate in DaVinci if you're a member already, and you'll certainly get exposure to these things.
And I'm going to course correct. Like, you don't need to be a member of DaVinci to participate in the calls. We have um, two weekly calls, uh, usually an implementer mm-hmm. call, and then a call that actually is talking about how are we cranking the guide forward. I think that the power mm-hmm. of the HL7 standards development process, where we're literally getting draft standards out there for use, and the market is telling us where things need to be expanded mm-hmm. or changed. Um, Janice, to get to your question that's in the chat as well, when we think about the chaining together of payer-to-payer-to-payer data, one of the big components that you get out of PDEX versus just using sort of, you know, dollar sign everything from a buyer perspective is that we really focus on what provenance means for payer data. And so there's been a lot of work by the team to make sure that provenance of where the information comes from and where it was sourced Mm -hmm. originally um, is maintained throughout the guides. Uh, The only other thing that I would say here is, you know, there's a lot out here that people need to think about for your own organization to get at minimum compliance. Um, this is adding on to activities that you've already been, you know, uh, well entrenched in getting to patient access API. Um, Mike, I don't know if there's anything here that you would call out specifically, but, you know, to me, I think the challenge is for us is to say mm-hmm. in the industry, we often see people saying we don't need to be regulated. Let us operate on our own in contrast with mm-hmm. I only do things because it's what I need to get done because it's in reg. And I think this is one of those opportunities for us to be able to shine and show that the industry really wants to move forward with modernizing healthcare. Um, I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to add on to my uh, my soapbox or make a different point. So. Yeah, no, I, again, it's it's our call to action from the members of the Da Vinci Project and and those that are also working in in, in concert with us, not just the members, as, as Jocelyn said. We're trying to broaden that coalition of folks that are willing to step up to the plate to, to foster interoperability, to preserve the value of the standards into the future, and to make interoperability really work in the spirit of the rule for patients, but also for providers and for payers that uh, that we can do data uh, payer-to-payer exchange beneficially for uh, all the stakeholders to come. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, I encourage folks that are in the weeds of this to go back and listen to last night's community roundtable. The link is there in the chat. Um, and as always, you know, reach out to us if you have questions or come to one of the calls. Uh, it's a growing community and we're really excited to have um, all of you join it. Thanks so much for the opportunity to speak today, Weedy. Yeah. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you for joining us, and be safe.